Welcome to Permaculture Freedom Podcast. My name is Cody and I'm your host. This is a show about cultivating freedom in our lives so we can be our best self. Freedom to live a beautiful, regenerative lifestyle that inspires our families, our friends, and our community. To transform our lives and reconnect to nature within. It's a revival of our roots. Roots that run deep into the earth. We were born for this time. We were born for this time. Thanks for joining me on this beautiful journey. Thanks for showing up. Buckminster Fuller, the man you just heard from, is an engineer, inventor, mathematician, and philosopher. He has been called a visionary, a prophet, a genius. Mr. Fuller, of all of the people that I have interviewed, you are the most difficult to define. You have called yourself a random element. Other people have called you an experience. An author, a designer, a scientist. He's even a cosmogenist, which I neither know how to spell nor do I know what it is. A new world thinker, if there ever was one, R. Buckminster Fuller. Richard Buckminster Fuller was one of the most famous designers and inventors in the 20th century, who had a particular interest towards improving society with his many inventions and ideas. Spanning more than five decades, he developed solutions to human problems in designing technologies that do more with less. During his many years working with machinery, Fuller used his comprehensive problem-solving approach to constructing a modular home that was relatively inexpensive and easy to mass-produce on a large scale for the general population. This was called the Dymaxion House. Fuller was ahead of the curve in understanding during his time that efficiencies must be created in how we develop new technologies in order to prevent a scarcity of resources and limiting negative impacts on the environment. This sustainable way of thinking that Fuller adopted in all of his design work went on to being applied to many other technologies, such as the Dymaxion car, which was a streamlined, three-wheeled vehicle that could make extraordinarily sharp turns, a compact, prefabricated, easily installed Dymaxion bathroom, and Dymaxion deployment units, which were mass-produced houses based on circular grain bins. While Dymaxion deployment units never became popular for civilian housing, they were used during World War II to shelter radar crews in remote locations with severe climates. In the middle of Fuller's life work, Fuller designed and developed one of the most significant constructions he is most well known for, the geodesic dome. This was a lightweight, cost-effective and easy-to-assemble dome structure, which enclosed more space without intrusive supporting columns that other structures bear. The geodesic dome efficiently distributed stress within the structure, thereby becoming a very strong design with the ability to withstand harsh environments. From this point onwards, Fuller gained a lot of understandings from nature by looking at how nature's geometrical patterns can be applied to the design of structures within human society, and by doing so could create huge advantages and possibilities. Today there are more than 300,000 geodesic domes around the world, ranging from shelters in California and Africa to radar stations in remote locations, as well as geodesic structures on countless children's playgrounds. In the early 1950s, Fuller concentrated lecturing on the benefits of his systems approach to problem solving. 
he coined the now familiar phrase Spaceship Earth to describe the integral nature of Earth's living system. Beginning in the late 1960s, Fuller was especially involved in creating World Game, a large-scale simulation and series of workshops he designed that used a large-scale Dymaxion map to help humanity better understand, benefit from, and more efficiently utilise the world's resources. Fuller's philosophy could be best summarised as being a social thinker, believing that humanity's survival is contingent upon how it manages spaceship Earth and the resources it contains, and that creating abundance whilst doing little to no harm to the environment would help to alleviate a lot of the problems seen in the world today. His emphasis on a systems thinking approach shaped a way of thinking that adopted the idea that the world is an interconnected system with interconnected problems, and that a way to solve these problems would be to call upon collective action. Very Honourable Dr. R. Buckminster Fuller. Dr. Fuller, I'd like to welcome you very, very much to Conversations and thank you for, for coming here to the program. May I and thank you for your greeting and, and the welcome, but also let you know that I'm quite confident that if I'm any significance or use at all, is because I am really a demonstration of a, what an average healthy human being really does have in the way of faculties and, and resources that when you, when the individual makes up his mind really to go along with whatever the truth and the challenges may be and, and not try to solve things in the terms of what the going game of money or politics may be. Yes, right. Well, you have set out consciously to comprehensively take the measure or to understand the working of nature, and in keeping with nature's pattern, to understand the, the evolution of consciousness and the ability for man to appropriately um, bring design or bring life supportive capability, in keeping with the nature's design, discovering that to the maximal, maximal benefit of the human family in a comprehensive mode which has been quite unique and at this particular moment in the evolution of consciousness is extremely valuable and very important. And I would personally uh, like to thank you very, very much for the activities I know that you've been engaged in for over 50 years in a particularly now, interesting manner, mm -hmm. um, gauging the evolution of consciousness and our ability to participate. But I'm, again, I'd just yeah. like to emphasize that uh, I think that I am only a manifest of, of what evolution is up to, there has to be an X and there has to be a Y mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. that does such and such. Yeah. And that I, by good fortune, happen to be in the sort of a frontier position. Yeah. Really in the frontier position because I, in a sense, was almost, uh, uh, had been thrown out of the regular patterns. Yeah. I right. seemed to be unwanted so that I really was an exile. Yeah. And simply with the, the enormous perspective that an exile has of looking things over yes. as a whole, yes. I was able to realize that humanity had arrived at some point of transformation as a great threshold across me. Yeah. That is, in view of the fact that all humans were born naked, yes. absolutely helpless, ignorant, we obviously had to find our way, and we had to find our way by trial and error, mm -hmm. gradually to discover that that we have mind, that mind can discover principles. And the principles themselves are something that cannot be apprehended just by brains, 
by brains of any other creature, mm -hmm. that because brains are always and only coordinating the information input from the touching, the smelling, the hearing, the seeing, and making up packages of those inputs. But mind discovers relationships existing between special case right. packages that are not in the data of any of the special case by themselves. Make it very simple. Yes. Isaac Newton's discovering of gravitational behavior. There was nothing in the geometry, the chemistry, like magnetics of Earth that said it was going to attract another body, non-contiguous and thousands of miles away, mm -hmm. nor there was anything in the moon that said it was going to. Mm -hmm. That there was then such an attraction occurring and that this interrelationship varied mm -hmm. ex exponentially as a second power of the relative proximity, if you have the distance between the two, interaction is fourfolded or doubled away, reduced one quarter of what it was. Mm -hmm. There was nothing in either body by itself that said there was going to be such an interaction, certainly not saying it was going to vary and, and vary exponentially. Mm -hmm. All the great discoveries of science have been in these interrelationships that are not in any of the data of any of the special case. And that's all the brain can ever deal with, is always with a special case information. Uh -huh. So that these principles discovered by mind turn out then to be principles. And the principle has no inherent beginning and end, and they do not get accredited by science as a scientific principle if there's ever an exception found. So yeah. they are, by definition, inherently eternal. Now, everything the brain deals in mm -hmm. is, is terminal, mm -hmm. finite. So that we have mind and mind alone, which human beings have, that no other phenomenon we know in the universe has, which has some access to some eternal principles operating in the universe. And we find these eternal principles themselves, are, none of them have ever been found to contradict another. Mm -hmm. Not only do they not contradict one another, but they're all inter-accommodative. Mm -hmm. That is, they're all being eternal or concurrently, all concurrently operative. Yeah. They do not interfere with them. Some of them then augment one another yeah. at exponential rates. Mm -hmm. When you get a complex of diff diff clearly differentiated behaviors yes. that all intercommodate one another, this would be called a design. That's what we mean by a design, in contrast to their being disorderly and, and interfering with one another. Mm -hmm. So the human mind has apparently gradually been pulling a curtain aside discovering some of the great design of the universe itself, that we on board of our planet, tiny as we are, mm. our planet can be smaller, tiny little, to you and I big, but yeah. to, to in the astronomical figures, uh, one one-hundredth of the diameter of the sun, and the yeah. sun is a rather small star, mm -hmm. is one of a hundred, hundred billion stars in our galaxy. Yeah. We now know of a billion such galaxies. Yeah. When we get into distances and magnitudes here, where our little planet could not be more negligible, and you and I are invisible on our planet, yeah. therefore the little human beings on board of that planet, invisible, negligible in the size of the universe, have the capability to discover a principle by virtue of which those, we've discovered the principle of optics and refraction of light, therefore we could make a telescope, mm -hmm. and make, make, make that telescope We've been able to discover all those galaxies, which 99.9% .9 of all those stars are 
not directly visible to your eye and my eye, so that our minds have the capability to be able to really check up satisfactorily that in a 22 billion light year mm. diameter sweep out of observation, we know that there, there are those galaxies, and by our mind discovering principles by virtue of which we find each of the chemical elements has unique way of making waves. Each one has unique wave patterns. Mm -hmm. And with the spectroscope, we're able then to take all that light from all those stars that are not visible to us. And on board of our planet, those human beings have actually taken a, an inventory of the relative abundance of all the chemical elements in our universe. Now that you and I on board of our planet would have this kind of capability. I said, I came at a moment when I began to be absolutely astonished by being exiled by society in a yeah. sense. I yeah. saw that those human beings were terribly preoccupied with the games of finding out what is so and having enormous ignorance of yesterday, feeling that you're made hungry. You don't, you don't make yourself hungry. It's not quite a piece of design that we are. And people have not found seemingly enough to eat and not enough. So they've been thinking the world was a game of a negative where a man is supposed to be a failure and had to prove himself an exception to live. And I could see that the principles really operating in our universe indicated very, very properly that he was here for a very important function and he had to discover his mind. And realizing about the time that I'm, I'm in, a, in this kind of awareness that a, we had to invent a lot of words to des describe our view and our communicators you and I are sitting here doing. Mm -hmm. The Oxford Dictionary, ladies and gentlemen, had about a hundred thousand words indicating that little human beings in the trial and error have discovered over a hundred thousand nuances of information yeah. that were so different that they really needed their own word. Mm -hmm. And that they have been able to agree on a hundred thousand words, knowing how difficult it is for human beings to come to an agreement that would read a hundred thousand words, again seemed to be an incredible victory that I felt then that here I was coming into a picture of man on board of our planet after millions of years having this beautiful vocabulary so you and I can communicate these experiences mm -hmm. that out of those experiences we can discover principles and we're here to, to employ those principles quite clearly in the universe where we have importings and exporting. All the stars are exporting energy, giving it off enormous ways. Mm -hmm. However, we also discovered, as of this century, that apparently no energy is either created or lost, so therefore the universe is eternally regenerative. It's the only and the minimum perpetual motion invention. Mm -hmm. And to have a, such an extraordinary invention with all the permitted 92 chemical element behaviors and all the different frequencies associating, associating, mm -hmm. all the inter-transformings that can go on mm -hmm. and always going on, never ceaselessly, and yet it's have such an integrity that nothing gets lost. Yeah. It would print clearly then the exporting means that there must be importing places. And we, but, but the stars are all visible to you and I because the energy they give off exporting. We would not be able to identify an importing center off in space because it wouldn't give off anything to be identified by yeah. unless we happen to bounce a signal off it. But it takes so many minutes if you to get there and coming back, you, yeah. we're not really able to do much about it. But our own planet, we discover, is a place where the energies of the universe are being collected, being where the sun radiation being pounded by the vegetations and the algae 
and converted by photosynthesis beautiful orderly molecular structure, mm -hmm. making hydrocarbons mm -hmm. out of disorderly receipts. Mm -hmm. Therefore, this quite clearly is a place where the biologicals are taking the energies, sorting them out, turning them into orderly structure, and burying them ever more deeply, we call the fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And we have, amongst all the biologicals, they, the, only the vegetation can do the impounding of the sun radiation. The mammals, such as you and I, have to then eat the vegetables or the, or the algae or one of the fish that have grown from one or the other right. uh, uh, animals. And mm -hmm. so I find then that the, we have uh, the human beings, amongst all the biologicals, has the most extraordinary sorting capability, which is that of the mind, which unique. in principle then can do that. So I'd say, if you invent a very complex machine such as the Boeing 747, you have to have a whole lot of instruments. Mm -hmm. Those instruments are telling you about all the stresses, strains, heats, and relative pressures, and then you once in a while discover something on those information that says, like the lack of information, says so the pilot's got to take over from automatic, mm -hmm. and only by virtue of his access to the principle of the universe could he possibly save the ship. I say then, in designing a much more complex thing, which would be the eternally regenerative universe, you would have to have some local sensing mechanisms mm -hmm. that are able then to take very sensitive readings and then to solve problems by virtue of that access to the principle of the universe. Apparently, human beings have then what might call a local and universe monitoring function mm. of the of problem solving. And, and I say, what is common to all lives in all history? Problems, problems, problems. Mm. We're here for that. Mm. And when we play games such as baseball, mm. you knock something out yeah. and it's disorderly. Then how do you convert it to order as quick as possible in the first place, wherever you throw it? Yeah, yeah. So that our game on, on our planet is this problem solving. So anyway, mm -hmm. our point was that I found myself an outsider. Yeah. And because I was an outsider, then I tended to look at the total information rather than the strong. So I realized that we might be crossing this threshold where instead of just it had to be you or me in a battle of power and might see who's going to live and who's going to die, it might be that the principle would make it possible to make everybody successful. The, the latter, be, uh, the, the former. We didn't, but yet we didn't know about those principles earlier. The right. former being on the idea of scarcity, right. that there was a condition of scarcity and that we would that, be coming a, to a moment of a realization of a surplus capability right. that had been introduced through our metaphysical If we really use the resources in an intelligent way, always in principle and not just for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. If, if then mm -hmm. instead of hoarding for me, for right. my survival, yes, uh -huh. we really looked into the synergy, which is the yeah. principle of operating between systems I spoke yes. about with mm -hmm. the mind and mind alone yes. can discover, where we discover these are behaviors of whole systems unpredicted by the behaviors of the past, right, like the gravity mm -hmm. of the moon and earth. So, so I can see that only if we really begin to operate together and probably those principles mm -hmm. could we really possibly make man a success and I began to look into that matter and saw that we didn't know how to fly and do a lot of these things very well but we were assuming that there's not enough ground so we were doing only a tackling science for war or how are you going to kill to see which one is going to, to, to survive. It's true. That's been the history of the human condition. It has been a condition of scarcity. Right. 
And it's you who has postulated from a, from a, I remember take particular reference to the article that was in the Life magazine in 1952, postulating a transference from the condition of scarcity, which had been characteristic of the human condition, to 1952, having arrived at, uh, excuse me, 43% coefficient between happiness and the world's population. And you're projecting a 20-odd year period to just about the time that we find ourselves in now, mid-1974, mm. to win the planet would cross the 50% mark and there would be a new kind of condition begin to be a relevant new, new to the assigning of our planetary design priorities. Mm. And it would seem to me that you had been gauging that mm. with such an incredibly accurate kind of, um, uh, of ability that was in a sense quite unique. I don't think there are too many people now who have a fundamental sense that we may be on the dawn of a new capability to realize surplus is the basic underlying now, assumption for assigning design. Out to you where? Mm -hmm where I saw that there was, I saw a man knew exactly what that airplane weighed and what he was getting out of it. He knew just what the ship of the sea weighed. Mm. But he doesn't think about buildings in terms of weight. He thinks of them sort as fortresses. Yes. The bigger and heavier and higher, the more secure. Mm. Mm. I saw then, because he was putting his science only on the airplane and so forth as a weapon, mm -hmm. did he do that? But he assumed that man wasn't going to be successful. So there's no use in put, spending our wealth on the people because they're going to be a flop anyway. Malthusian so that I saw that if we really turned it on what are called livingry, yes. I needed a term like weaponry, yes. livingry, livingry, then what you mean environment controls, mm -hmm. shells, the apparatus inside to, 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 to clean us and yes. prepare food Life and conserve support. and handle the energies. Mm -hmm. I then went into that, and that brought about the discovery of the geodesic domes yeah. and so forth. And there are now over 100,000 around the world. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I now really know mm -hmm. that I can give you, for instance, 30 buildings for one, for mm -hmm. given snow load, hu hurricane loading, earthquake loading, for a given clear span. I can give you 30 buildings for one against an inordinate known engineering strategy than spherical and, and triangulated 10 degree structures. Yes. So I that I now know by actual measurement of the, what technology you do need to make man a success. Mm -hmm. I, know, I now know it's highly feasible. We have the resources, we have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. The metals have not been lost in mind. They simply come out and we get metal melted out to take one Cadillac, melt it up, and get out two Japanese yes. cars. <laughs> Twice as good. Yes. Uh -huh. So that what we keep circulating, mm -hmm. I now know with the resources we already mined, the knowledge we already have is highly feasible to take care of all of humanity mm -hmm. at a higher standard living than anybody's ever known. Yeah. And it can be done by 1985. Uh -huh. Back to uh -huh. this very room that we're in here today, we're just going, going over the last World Game yes. uh, workshop which has been going on for the last month. And, and the team really did undertake to absolutely certify all those figures I just gave you. Yes. Uh -huh. And we now know actually the critical path of how we phase out the fossil fuels burning, how we phase out the nuclear, how we do bring in the wind power, how we do bring in the the hydrogen powers and, and so forth, and, and it, it actually can be done by 1985. I, I knew that because I made the measurements before now. I have really a large team that have been able to certify this, so it's going to become a public matter fairly rapidly. Uh -huh. But again, please note mm -hmm. that I only was able to do what I did because it was of the times yes. Things yeah. had to be ripe. That's right. Nature has a gestation rate. That's right. And I'm really very eager that uh, never appear that I that I think I'm something fancy that is something. I simply really by very good luck happen to be th that exile at that moment to take inventory uh -huh. 
having fortunately had enough experience in ships and airplanes and yes. building of buildings and so forth, to, to realize it was so. Uh -huh. One of the principles I think that would make it possible for us to realize through design as opposed to some sort of a political uh, expedient use of the old technologies would be the principle of ephemerization mm. or constantly through design being able to do more with less. And you mentioned your, of course, famous geodesic structures, which is, and is the most efficient means of enclosing space. That's an example of doing more with less. And this means that we're becoming more productive uh, through the utilization of miniaturization and smaller and smaller technological instruments are creating more and more capability in terms of providing live support. Everybody's really familiar with that in electronics. Uh -huh. of, yes. uh, the, mm -hmm. the great big radio set down to the little transistor and, and yes. so forth. Where today, I like to use the example, one communication satellite yes. weighing one quarter of a ton is outperforming the transoceanic communication capability of 175,000 tons of copper cable. That's right. Now, that's, that's, the, that's the, 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 the rate of gain of the more with less thing. It's not just one Cadillac into two Japanese, but very, very ex exponential Expo rate. An exponential capability. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it just makes one wonder sometimes whether or not uh, a, a planetary systems or planetary political, economic, and political, social organizing assumptions, assumptions which had all been geared to a condition of scarcity as the condition in which the evolution of consciousness or the human drama had been transpiring That's until right. perhaps this moment. Right. The transition is such a fundamental kind mm. of one-time, unprecedented, uh, fundamental transformation that we're experiencing now that uh, it does bring uh, with it certain concomitant difficulties and on the part of people who have had their identities and their senses of uh, purpose and so forth constrained to the old organizing assumptions. Yeah? So it's a, question, it's a question of somehow being able to, in a sense, raise consciousness or perhaps a process of, of uh, mutual educational process to the real realities which is the principal task by which the general citizenry may be able to get a sense of the quite optimistic, realistically optimistic condition that spaceship Earth is at this moment, and perhaps beyond the kind of negatively, negative feelings that are accompanying the dis, the dis, the dis, the unoptimal production uh, capability of the old systems in which they have found themselves. So, mm -hmm. so a process of participatory education or world game on large scale is perhaps the principal uh, challenge or the interesting challenge that's before us now. I would like to think that your perceptions most certainly are absolutely crucial to the means by which we can begin to have that information structured within a uh, technological context which can provide for a mass kind of participation in that. Right. I'd like to speak about that a little bit later, but is that approximately uh, the condition I'll, in which you see uh, I, I us now? I would like to be sure that we recognize yes. and, and, and to whatever extent we are disseminating information yes. mm -hmm. that uh, how reasonable it is that yesterday man being ignorant mm -hmm. and being very hungry yes. and not knowing even what he could eat, just a berry, pit of berry picker finding this poisons him and so yeah, forth, yeah, yeah. that it has been a logical working assumption that there's nowhere nearly enough to go around yeah. because when people did find a lucky place, then they got a flood, came in a drought, one of those things, and they tried to invade. So man has always been warring and coming on. Um, it's a nightmare. So we do have uh, absolutely universal to economics yeah. and to political economics is the model mm -hmm. that there's fundamental inadequacy, fundamental scarcity. Yes. Therefore, all politics are based on the fact 
that not there's not enough yeah. to go around. Someday, a whole lot of people are going to die. Mm -hmm. And you, I have a theory, mm -hmm. and my theory is the fairest, I think, and the, and the wisest, and mm -hmm. the most economical. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you better join up with me, oh, I see, yeah. and your family better join up with me. Yeah. That's why I have a politician. Yeah. Now, realize then, then you're going to have a showdown, see, because Elder CB may be enough for you, so we join yeah. up sides, and, yeah. and then we're going to have the great Armageddon, see yeah. which of the great world sides are going to win, the, yeah. the communists or yeah. the capitalists, what yeah. it may be. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that way. Having discovered there really is enough to go around, I then find then that politics are really now obsolete. People are so used to the idea, I got to have a leader. Yeah. They also had to have a leader when they, we were illiterate. We didn't have words. We yeah. didn't have the communication. We didn't have the information. Right. Suddenly, everybody, once there was just the pharaoh was in on the information, then the nobles were, yeah. then the middle class. Yeah. Just in this, this century, yeah. everybody's suddenly in on the information. Everybody's in on the vocabulary. Everybody can yeah. communicate. Yeah. So suddenly, it is really going to be everybody, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and everybody's going to have to know in a hurry mm -hmm. that there really is enough to go around. Now, mm -hmm. if there is enough to go around, and you and I know there is, mm -hmm. you and I don't need a politician to tell us how to make sense as we sit here. He doesn't mm -hmm. have to, politician tell you, now it's your turn to speak. Mm -hmm. You and I cooperate and try to bring out the information in, the, in a logical way. Yes. And society just does not be that Anyway, we're not mm -hmm. used to that. We're used yeah. to the idea not to uh, so we elect you and you, it's up to you to be yeah. sure that our side comes out on top. Mm -hmm. now, yeah, it, and, 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 and that's why all the flag waving and all, mm -hmm. all the, the guns and everything are out there. But or, it's just no longer, mm -hmm. it's actually no longer so. Now yeah. this is what, mm -hmm. if okay. very, mm -hmm. we're up against either a bloody revolution ahead, yes. thinking it has to be you or me with mm -hmm. all the bombing yeah. capability, mm -hmm. 200 billion a year being spent to get ready for Armageddon by yeah the leading nations of the earth. Yeah. I say, we're going to have either a revolution of, of blood where everybody loses them, yeah. or it's going to be a design revolution where we do use the ephemeralization. We do do more than less. We do get all of humanity successful by 1985. It's a very touch and go matter. Therefore, mm -hmm. one of the, to me, I take very deep sense of responsibility that you and I are invited to be on the air to communicate mm -hmm. with a number of people. Yes. Therefore, I say, the most important thing is how do we get all of humanity to find out what it is all about in the shortest possible time yes. that man does have the option to make it. He didn't that's know right. it, but now he has. And we're at a very crucial moment now, yeah, and it's right. a very, very crucial, and it's a privilege to yeah. be alive, conscious, and able to participate at this right. particular time in the scenario of the evolution of, right. of, of, uh, of, universal, uh, of, universal, of universal consciousness. But as we say, uh, as we refer to the old systems by which the planet's been operating, and we can have a sense of a new capability that's gleaned or able to be realized through mind's uh, able ability to perceive this, it's possible to conceive also that the great numbers of the general citizenry of the United States who perhaps might be viewing this particular program through an extended cable vision um, system linked through satellite capability, mm. it might be difficult for them to realize that if their identities are, or their immediate securities are, wrapped up in the premises of the old organizing assumptions, the political structure of which they are a part, it might be that in a certain measure, that system that people have been living by must be addressed by the new conscious... But it has, uh, must, it must not be, be done The old reality, in a sense, must be dealt with and... and, and uh, 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 in a sense, it, it, uh, I don't. I have a feeling that it would have to be dealt with in a way we can. Do you see, we can ignore the old patterns by which we've been operating, or that we bring a process by which those in them will realize that they are able to participate and are part of this as well. 
because if we're, if we're having a fundamental change and we have a if we have a condition from a historical condition and a dialectical pattern whereby a new system wiped out the old system that had been established, then those people in positions of responsibility for the old organizing assumptions, the political leadership for whatever kind of position fear, of leadership, fear, uh, fear the kind of them. change which is feeling abroad in the land, and that perhaps uh, for the first time in the evolution of consciousness, we have the opportunity by where, uh, through a process of, of conscious Real, uh, a conscious understanding on their part of a transference from the condition of scarcity to surplus that the fundamental change can happen in a mode where nobody loses, including those who've been responsible right. for the old way of doing things. So, so I, that I feel that, that to those our, our responsibility is to, mm -hmm. to enlighten, elucidate, not ask anybody to believe, but show them why it is so, mm -hmm. that there now can be enough, mm -hmm. to realize then that as but evolution, however, is at work, and you and I didn't invent that universe. Mm -hmm. We didn't invent right. that planet. We didn't invent those laws. There's right. something much bigger operating. Yes. Oh, the yes. thing to do is to stand off and try to see what those are. Now, yeah. the things that are happening evolutionarily, we have politics everywhere. Yes. Uh, with the information system we have today, mm -hmm. are becoming quite clearly mm -hmm. highly corruptible. They're perfectly wow. good human beings, mm -hmm. but thinking is not enough to go around. Perhaps in the Then yeah. playing tricks. Yeah. How do, you, how, do you, how do you get, well, you don't want to really kill the other man, but no, you tell a lie. It's immoral if you do it for yourself, but it's, yeah. it's, it's moral if you do it for the people who love all those yeah. kind of ways of, yeah. of tempering, temporizing with the truth. Yeah. And man has been doing that. Yeah. So poor, poor little man, I, have, yeah. I, yeah. I see the politicians are now in such a bind. Mr. Nixon, for instance. Well, whatever or, it is, I don't, have, whole don't have to say uh, that. Uh, it's, it's quite uh, clear that yeah. politics are corruptible, uh, that you can't get an office without buying it, all those things. Yeah, more or less the way the country is right. set up. No, but then, then well, this was true. always true, you see. Yes, but right. now it's out in the open. Yeah, so true. therefore we have a young world yes. that's becoming disillusioned with the idea that how you get solved a problem is about politics. Yeah. They're beginning to really say, how does this universe work? Mm -hmm. I see if we can get the moon and, and not lose a single human being yes, on, the, right. on that kind of an undertaking. Right. Uh -huh. and, and takes being, that's what we ought to be doing about how do we make our spaceship work. Yeah, right. So I, there's a young world coming through, and I find that absolutely will not put up with lies. Uh -huh. it's, it's, it's manifest, of, it's abhorrence uh -huh. of any misrepresentation. It's right. is just is, uh -huh. is mm -hmm. most uh, cheering yeah. of all the news we have. That's not a generalized and, principle and, of the And universe, each, each child yes. is very much better informed than the ones before. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. when I was young, mm -hmm. I see, I was eight years old when the Wright brothers flew, and up at the time, yes. everybody said it's an inherently impossible man to fly. Right. I was brought up under an incredible amount of misinformation, yeah. a great deal to get rid of. Mm -hmm. But these young people are not, they're not all found with misinformation. Mm -hmm. they, they really learn, they say, I see daddy and mama listening to the radio too. Mm -hmm. Daddy used to be authority, he brought the news home, but he doesn't bring the news home anymore. Yeah. They see that daddy isn't the authority, therefore he's also emanating the voice of the people on the TV or the radio. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the kids are saying, I see then that dad and mom are not the authority, I love them very much, they love me, but I've got to do my own thinking. This is the first generation saying, I'm going to do my own thinking. Yeah. This is, mm -hmm. And this is, the, this is the great change, because if, if we do survive, it's because man is using his yeah. mind, is doing his own thinking, right. and not leaving it to somebody else. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm very much taken uh, by the concept of synergy as behavior systems unpredictable by the sum of, it, of its parts. And when I begin to think myself in terms of the means by which we might be able to make the transference consciously, I have the sensing that uh, 
we must be, let's say, from the young world's position who would look at the historical condition that has been inherited and the people who've been responsible for operating uh, in systems which were established in the assumption of scarcity and in the general condition of ignorance by the people in those assumptions of scarcity, that there be a careful kind of appropriate to universal minds functioning, that there be a careful means of including without excluding right. the elder right. members of our human family who have been operating within that historical condition and that we tend not to see in any kind of way if we can personalized enemies or a political thing but that we do see as the common enemy ignorance of right. the condition of which right. we've been evolving. I so, very, so in that sense I, I would... very sad I'm, for the, the... The political people are caught within systems that in a sense it's not, you know, we should not be too hard on First place, on people, we, you if know? you're vindictive... Yeah, you shouldn't be vindictive or, or toward you're, those. You're, you're mm. trying to revenge and so mm. forth. You, mm. you're, you're not making any contribution mm. at all. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand, in fact, I really feel mm -hmm. very often sick in my heart about yeah. the poor politicians who are having yes. the function historically yeah. of demonstrating that politics are corrupt. I think the sooner that That's they could be got... That's a very sad to, matter. The sooner they could be really? got to... I think the sooner they could be understood what it is that is transpiring, I mm. think the sooner we would be able to begin to function in a way that could engage each of the citizenry of the planet, which it seems to me would be part, a maximal kind of engagement on the part of each of us is a sort of... Uh, part of a synergistic pattern by which we might find our, our place in universe, so that we really do need to have the, uh, the participation of everyone within the society in a way that is from inside, that they're part of it. So that would be, right. it's, it's a tricky thing, and sometimes it's a, a transference, it's hard for a lot of people to realize, but I think it's essential. So in a sense, the, 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 the real question is to get to the people, the political, responsible, uh, the, the, the industrialists and so forth with information as to how things can be done differently and why and with understanding and then we can all go together and then that would be in itself would be a process of education or a process of getting the good information to people with economy of language that can and with the integrity and the system that respects the integrity and the economy of the language in a means by which this process of national participation and consciousness raising could take place. I feel that I'm going to have to interrupt because I feel that we're going to have to, in order for those metals to yeah. recirculate. Uh, mm -hmm. For instance, Japan has no iron mines. Mm -hmm. okay. They become one of the great industrial countries because the United States puts so, many, so much armament in the mm -hmm. Pacific. Mm -hmm. They seem to be able to melt up those armaments and they, there was their mine. Yeah. In other words, Japan's economy gets on entirely on recirculating scrap. Uh -huh. now, this is absolutely new. Man used to think of metals as being used up like strawberries, that they, they'd simply got eaten up. Mm -hmm. Not so. They just do not get lost. Mm -hmm. And so we find That's every right. time we recirculate those metals, we have this higher, much more know-how. Therefore, we're able to increase that, doing more with less. Now, I, I feel then, it's very, it, you, the whole idea of separate nations mm -hmm. yeah. in countries was it had to be you and me. Yeah, that's a scarcity assumption. And, mm -hmm. and if it's going to really work, it's going to be because we have to absolutely become transcendental. But uh -huh. I find all the great corporations have now become transnational. Mm -hmm. and, and the great ideologies, but only the people are stuck back where they can be conscripted and, and taxed and so forth, rather than being able to really get to be world citizens. So mm -hmm. we're going to have to see all, all the sovereignties are going to have to go in, in the next in the next 10 years, next uh -huh. 12 years, uh -huh. Uh -huh. if we're going to make it. And so that, that's quite a, evolution has quite a schedule of uh -huh. things that are going to become obsolete. Uh -huh. And it's going to have to become 
uh, the, the, nation, the going away of those nations and so forth becomes not something I said done away with yeah. because you don't like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It simply becomes it becomes irrelevant. Yeah. And, and just simply or or, the, or or perhaps the negative aspects of nationalism might be able to, but characteristics that are are interestingly local characters might be amplified, uh, or at least the ones that... It's interesting, if I may pursue that, you're talking about the activities of the multinational corporations. We have had some programming and activity with uh, people responsible for certain of the multinational corporations, and they have uh, made it clear in their, in their discussion that they are aware of their world-round responsibility. They have a world-round constituency and can begin to move outside of the constraints of the sovereign states, although they're also uh, aware of that historical pattern. But this is an entirely new kind of uh, a world-round activity that they're having. And one thing, if I may, that they have indicated, or in some programs similar to this that we've done with them, they have indicated their understanding that the productive process has been in the recent time, and certainly the introduction of a surplus capability is the result of a technologically augmented productive system whereby the labor component to the productive process is steadily, or has been in the modern era, decreasing relative to the productive capability of technological systems introduced through man's metaphysical intellectual capability into the, into the design. And that it is the instrumentalities of technology which are increasingly producing wealth as opposed to, to labor. And they have indicated to me their interest in economic systems whereby the citizenry of host countries in which they're operating around the world might begin to have a different kind of relationship to the productive process in the area they're working rather than strictly as laborers, but that they might have a direct relationship to the technological systems or the technological machinery so that the wealth generated by that technological capability would accrue to them directly rather than a, a trying to force them into labor patterns which are redundant and are not necessary and are no longer necessary by the technological capability. In fact, it might be opposite to the best that the technological system could do, but labor-intensive patterns won't allow it to happen because it's a pattern from the past. I wonder if you could comment on that. Yes, I feel that the I've known wonderful men like Walter Ruther representing mm -hmm. labor. Mm -hmm. There's no question about the, you can never have had mass production or mass benefaction uh, advantaging of people. Mm -hmm. If you hadn't have mass distribution, you couldn't have mass distribution. If you didn't have mass consumption, you couldn't have consumption that had mass buying capability. Mm -hmm. What labor really did, his evolutionarily, mm -hmm. was to make a, the broad spectrum of those who could participate. Mm -hmm. It had that function, but now it has also its fear, the fear of the individuals that, they, that the machine will, could displace them. Because we do know the, how to employ principles by which, which we can take the cosmic energies and put them on the ends of levers. I mean, people do not have to be the machines. Right. They've been actually been the, they've been the machinery. Yes. They've been just muscle machines. Yes. And evolution is trying to graduate man from, from that. But in his fear that he's not going to be allowed to eat because he's been told you, there's not enough to go around, therefore you have to prove yourself an exception. You have, have to earn the right to live. Yes. Uh -huh. Now, I simply say, the minute we get over that nonsense, uh -huh. we simply say, because I now find there is enough to go around, yeah. therefore, it's simply a question, as when a child is born, you don't say, how are you going to earn a living? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, used, we, used, we used to say, yeah. When you're six, now you go to work in the mines. Then yeah. we say, no, we're going to just go on to school. Uh -huh. We look after the human beings a little longer all the time. Mm -hmm. and we're going to then 
within the same 12 years from now, we're going to say you're automatically you're, you're included and you can live very, that's exactly everything you need, go anywhere you want, there's mm -hmm. adequate to do it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're going to give up all the nonsense of your earning living and really let the automation get going. Uh -huh. But that's what nature is trying to do. Yeah. And we're blocking it in the same way that the, the, the professor on, on tenure mm -hmm. is so afraid I was losing his job yeah. when what we really need to do is get the information to people. So he's really yeah. been trying to monopolize them, get his departments finer and finer and say, yeah. you can't learn about that unless you take two years of courses to ask yeah. a professor a question. Yeah. That has to go. Yeah, so yeah. Fear the specialization. E so fear, fear everywhere is going to have to be yeah. dissipated, Harold, yeah. as people yield and suddenly find. Now, but yeah. above all, I feel that. We could not really cope with all this. The information has to be handled. If it yeah. hadn't been that, again, evolution produced the computer. Computers. Nobody didn't do and, that. And the magnetic but, bubble. But by virtue of the computer's presence, mm -hmm. it is possible to put enormous costing problems in. Mm -hmm. And you can put a problem in whether, when people say we can't afford it, say, mm -hmm. which, which way do you, do you save the most money yeah. by granting all the Medicare yeah. and so forth, or, or are you going to wait till you get into trouble and spend it on a war? Mm -hmm. The computer is going to make it very clear time and again that we can, can't afford anything else but to put everybody immediately on the payroll. Yeah, okay, okay, I so see. So, by virtue of the computer, I, I can see there's a young world with its mm -hmm. truth and so forth. Maybe, and they are really all learning how to program computers, mm -hmm. and we're going to be able to put these problems in, and it's going to become suddenly overnight manifest the world that this is the only way the world really can work. Down go the, the sound renters, down go the nonsense about the kind of living. Mm -hmm and say, how do we really make the world work? Mm. I, I wonder, I would like to just pursue that a little bit more if I may. And even though I saw, I saw Dr. Stein, Herb's, Herbert Stein, who is the economic advisor to the President of the United States, the other day characterized economics as a science of scarcity, which I found very interesting. But I'd like to pursue that. Even as economics, the question of economics and the means by which the people are to be related to the productive process, very, very briefly, that if we were to envision a Kelsonian, I mean a, uh, a Keynesian model, that the United States primarily relates to a classical economy, uh, classical, modified classical capitalist system or a Marxian system which much of the present world relates to mm. in terms of a political or economic ideology, both of those systems assume that the principal component of the productive process is labor. And there is no mechanism built in for relating the owners of, I mean, relating the general citizenry as owners of the technological instrumentalities themselves. There is one system that I have become aware of. I'm wondering if you have the system of Lewis Kelso, who has proposed well, yeah. a proposal for relating directly the citizenry of the nation as owners of the means of production so that they have a means of gaining income other than a wage system or other than a government bureaucracy creating tax projection of a tax system of gaining income in order to pay it out, which tends to reinforce the old governmental structure. It relates... I, I wonder if, if you we had to reform the old accounting system, that's what I think would happen. Mm -hmm. okay. I think well, we're going to discover that nobody owns anything. Uh, except perhaps their own identity. I don't know identity. those stars. They're very beautiful. They own your own, own, own identity. We don't, we don't really own anything. Anything But we are really part of a very <laughs> extraordinary regenerative system, and I think that's... It's really that kind of truth that's going to manifest. There would probably be, there would probably be a period at the period of transition uh, where there would be a certain kind of way in which we could talk to the system or the people responsible for the old accounting systems or the, way, the, the space in which they perceive of their activity in manners that they are going to be able to, to understand. 
And I don't know, I have just found that mm -hmm. interesting myself. It seems to me to make a certain sense that we, if we're not going to be able to distribute our productive capability in the old way, it is incumbent upon us who are interested in changing that to have a, an alternate system that can be presented to those that are responsible for that old way, again, keeping in mind that they will be able to go along with it. But, uh, yeah, and it seems to me that this system does make some sense in that regard, in that period of, of, of that period of transition. But I, I don't know. I would think, uh, mm -hmm. Kelso is, mm -hmm. is a brilliant man, yeah. well, he's and I think all these things poet. are part of this educational process yeah. we're going through. Mm -hmm. And nature has gestation rates, and you can't make human babies less than that nine months or yes, whatever it may be. And she has a rate at which the, the, biggest, the biggest take the longest. Yeah. But to make man a success on our planet and get mm -hmm. on a new, yes. across a new special, new functioning universe mm -hmm. is a very big undertaking. Yeah. So that, there's going to be a lot of kind of talk you and I are having mm -hmm. here, and, and, and there is all around the world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I see m mostly we went through a period of great dismay, mm -hmm. uh, realizing the older things were not working. Yeah. But now there's much more earnest inquiry about how do you make it work. Uh -huh. and uh -huh. Personally, yeah. I'm absolutely, I'm, mm -hmm. I think everybody has validity, yeah. but my own commitment is then to mm -hmm. resolving problem solutions into what are called artifacts. But the artifact speaks for itself rather than, as for instance, let's have a man who's left his family over here to get some food over here. Yeah. While he's away, the great flash flood between himself and his family, yeah. I mean, from a great mountain lake up above him, and so there's roaring torrent, uh -huh. and he can't get back to his family. And nature then washes a big pinnacle rock loose and it falls across the chasm. Yeah. He will, he will use that bridge and not try to swim across the bottom. Yeah. Same way I said, if I then I build a bridge, the bridge speaks for itself, and I don't have to have any words to explain the bridge. Mm. Otherwise, okay. I'm, I'm, my, whole, my whole commitment is to artifacts right. that tell man that this is a logical way to carry on and we'll get on better. Yeah, yeah. right. I can understand that very clearly. It's beautiful. Uh, you were speaking before of the, of the uh, I wonder if we might even be able to speak about the context within we're operating now. We're taping a a television program that to be carried by a, uh, a cable television system in New York City. And that cable television system is, or the cable television system that is um, a national entity, is a television uh, system which is about to be linked. There are very island, there are islands of cable vision capability around the country. Perhaps 10% of the nation now is able to receive cable, and cable is able to carry an unlimited, a virtually unlimited carrying capacity as opposed to the bandwidth limitations of broadcast television. Speaking now in terms of the means by which general citizenry can begin to participate in uh, the consciousness raising educated process, that the Cablevision systems are about to be united through satellite technology into a communication system which one other component of which is the magnetic bubble memory storage system that the IBM Computer Corporation has just developed. We're beginning to develop a communication system that is one that could be, as I see the system of an economic system relating to a communication system that is truly one of abundance as opposed to the strictly the, the limitations of uh, the broadcast system that we had inherited, which was a system of scarcity. And I wonder if you might comment on your idea or your, whether or not the production of videotape documentaries where good information is structured could be put out over that system as a means of a broad 
faith-based general we, participation. We, we know we can mm -hmm. technically, mm -hmm. and I'm doing so. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the, up to now, a broadcasting system mm -hmm. is actually sending out to people, and there's no way they can reply. Yeah. Well, in the cable, if I may, the cable has a two-way capacity. They can yeah. come back now, and now forth. That's the big difference yeah. is well, there the is. cable you can yeah. go back. Yes, they can. Otherwise, there's actually it's a discrete. That's right. Up. Therefore, yeah. you can speak right back. That's right. Now, we had, as, for instance, the United States Revolution occurred, mm -hmm. and we have our first representation, the representatives from the 13 states had to go by horse or foot back to their state, and they saw a lot of people along the way, talked in all the t villages and towns. Mm -hmm. They were able to bring back to, to their own constituents yeah. the single problem. At the time of, of the Jefferson cabinet, I think he said to his cabinet, no, this is not a joke. Yeah. We have not had a letter from our Ambassador Franklin in France this, uh, this year. If we don't hear from him pretty soon, we better write him a letter. Yeah, that's right. uh, but you had maybe one letter from France a year. Yes. So you would go back to your constituents and tell yeah. them what everybody in Washington felt about the letter that came from France. Mm -hmm. And the people would tell you what they want. So the whole period of representation uh -huh. was predicated on all the, going all the way home by foot and, and horse, uh -huh. coming all the way back and expressing yourself, having plenty of time to do that. Mm -hmm. It took several years to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, we, uh, since that time, suddenly the telegraph was invented. So news got to people, but they couldn't come back. Yeah. The news went out this way. Yeah. News began to broadcast. Yeah. People used to then have a one-to-one -one correspondence of action reaction. They told this and they did this. Mm -hmm. So things were really very successful under those conditions. Mm -hmm. But now, between the, the times that they expressed themselves in the national election, they probably have 100,000 informations and they're not able to say anything. All they say, I, I'm, I don't like it, I do like yeah. it, just everything. Yeah. And they don't, they can't give the discrete answer. Yeah. It's not going to be possible with, with the mm -hmm. cable television yes. for people to express themselves regarding specific problems. Mm -hmm. Specific pro We're going to be able to have, as with the paramutual machine, yeah. we're going yeah. to have a continual running knowledge of what the total people are thinking about any given problem. And for, for the first mm -hmm. time, you don't really need a, a representative trying to guess what it is or having to make surveys, he yeah. knows. Yeah, but at the same time... That's, that's going to really make an extraordinarily great, this enormous acceleration in man's becoming successful on our planet. And I think that perhaps that system, in order to be functioning maximally so that each of us can, that there is the need to have the best possible information available so that the people making decision-making processes involving participation in that, that they be making those decisions and thinking in terms of the best information that is available or can be made available to them. And That's if you right. might, they will know what I would think what, that uh, this system is just now coming into being, and it would seem to me entirely appropriate that, uh, that uh, as that system comes into being, that system of communication of abundance, that a, a, a program that be intrinsic to the very leading edge of the creation of that system right. be one that includes the perceptions this way of the, our Buckminster Fuller. Now, this way the representative does, does not have to guess his way and get information every couple of years. Yeah. He's going to get hourly minute information exactly where the pulse of the majority do. If, mm -hmm. the, if the majority want this and he acted that way, he's not going to then have to be a scapegoat because that's what the majority said. There is the question. This, this is going to change the political very greatly. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and further, furthermore, mm -hmm. Then when society finds they've made a mistake, they can reverse their position today. They don't have to wait for two years to get another election. So that 
that this is becomes a steerable affair. Yeah. So you begin to get closer and closer in where, where you really want to go. Yes, right. And so then you do sense yourself the oh. idea that the cable satellite computer link-up is a very intrinsic or an important develop technological development. I in wrote terms a piece of in uh, 1940. I was on. I was a technical and science advisor yes. to the staff of Fortune that time. Yes. I wrote a piece. Henry Luce was quite upset about because he was worried about what he called a direct democracy. I proposed what he called telephone voting. Uh -huh. I, mm -hmm. Consulting the telephone company, I found, would not really step up the frequency of use of telephones. We had daily voting. And I saw that unless we really had the two-way communication, what I call later on two-way TV, mm -hmm. this again would be critical to whether man makes it on our planet or not. Uh -huh. But I think your, your cable television is just exactly that, no man. It does have the capability yeah. of doing yeah. that. And yeah. then I wondered also if we could pick up on this since we just have a few more minutes left, but uh, pick up or think some about your perceptions of uh, the means by which videotape documentaries that would be able to be fed into that cable vision system of distribution might be best uh, Produced. I know from your book, uh, Education Automation, concerned with Edwardsville uh, campus at Southern Illinois University, that you had conceived of the university structures as we have them as becoming, in large measure, a great many of them, becoming video production centers for the creation of videotaped documentaries that could be fed into this cable system as a process. So they would be places to go to create videotaped documentaries. Right. That still makes good sense oh, to me, and I'm wondering if it does to you, and ties in nicely with the cable as a system for distributing right. such documentaries. I would make a prophecy that yes. within 10 years, the only universities that are still operating around our world will be nothing but documentary studios. Uh -huh. And all the people who are not really interested in how do you get the information to people, yes. they're not trying to monopolize it, trying, yes. how do I get the most beautiful, accurate, uh -huh. yes. uh, right. understandable, yes. logical way. Yeah. All those others will, will have been given them fellowships and they would not be on the campus. Or perhaps they'd be, so they'd be off studying and getting mm -hmm. ready possibly to make their documentaries. Or we could be, yeah, right. surely they could go out and get information or they could right. have in a condition of a new kind of economic condition, right. there would be no reason for them to be constrained that they're going to have to have no, a no, job no or something fear. to be no there. Fear. There'd be places for people to go who have information, who are interested in having that information right. structured to maximally benefit uh, the population of the planet. So that, the, so that the specialized or special case experiences of some of our specialized professorship with very good minds could become the subject matter of a documentary. No it question. could be doctored up by visual effects and music. One thing I would like to say to that Cle is... Possibly clearer addiction, clear addiction than, than, than perhaps. That particular I, mean, professor. I would like to say that it would seem to me that for that to be operating maximally beneficially, that there be a process by which the intellectual integrity of the videotape documentary thus created that the intellectual integrity be re the responsibility of an individual and that any doctoring up on the part of an artistic mm -hmm. community, that that, I think that should pass the final, that the, 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 professor, the, right. the professor say, that's okay with me before it be put out. Indeed. Because this process can, the, the intellectual integrity of the person creating the program is important. The doctoring up of that is going to be assigned, and that process should be approved of by the person who's principally responsible for the integrity of the information, because he understands it best. When he gets then you have a real process, a, a design center. Where this time mm -hmm. for communication is for the sake of humanity, is making yes. a success of itself, yes. and not how to make money or, uh, yes. or how to make political yes. advantage, yes. when we really don't have this right. ulterior motives. Right. And it's just here for that, yes. then there's no question about that the speaker yes. must really be the authority on yes just exactly what he meant by that right. 
that particular little nuance. It must yeah. not be edited out by somebody who says, Doesn't no, it? this is not stable. Probably a lesser yeah. conscious doing it anyway, yeah, the commercial world. Well, hopefully yeah. we're going to be able to transcend that. Certainly uh, the perceptions that you've brought to the whole scenario of human evolution or evolution in the universe is absolutely uh, extremely important. And I would like to, I'm sorry, we're right out of time, but I'd like to thank you really very, very much for participating on, uh, on conversations. It's been an honor for you to be here. And I'd like to thank you for your many contributions to the betterment of the human thank family. You for inviting me. Not at all. My pleasure. It's the, uh, it's, uh, the purpose of conversations to access information relevant to an understanding of what's going on and the maximal participation in that conscious evolution in universe. And you're indispensable to that. So thank you once again for being and for doing what you have done and for being here on the program. And I wonder if I could uh, say good evening now. Thank you very, very much for viewing Conversations. And uh, tune in uh, next week on Conversations for another uh, enlightening... Uh, Buckminster Fuller was a great storyteller. His stories were really myths. A myth is a story that has a profound meaning, but all of the details in the story aren't necessarily true. I heard him tell this story about bridges the very first time I ever heard him speak, and it changed the way I think about the world for the rest of my life. Bucky was standing in front of a blackboard, and he drew a U shape. This is a canyon, he said. There were people living on each side needed to communicate and trade, but they couldn't get across. So they tried to figure out what they could do, and some of them started to dig up rocks and throw them into the canyon. Eventually, the canyon completely filled up with rocks, and it became the first bridge. The amazing thing about it was is that it took millions of tons of stone, and it took years and years to build, and all these tons of stone were used just to hold up a few 150-pound people carrying something on their back to get across but it enormously increased wealth because they could trade. But they discovered that there was a problem. There was a stream at the bottom, and the stream water was building up on the back end and causing a problem. So a few brave souls climbed down into the canyon, and they knocked a few stones out at the very bottom, and some of the water could get through. They made a bigger hole, and then a bunch of the rocks collapsed, and the hole disappeared. So they did it again. And they kept doing it until they began to discover that when the hole was a certain shape, it didn't fall back down. When they had discovered the arch. The key to an arch is its shape. An arch is actually not a thing. It's a hole of a certain shape. As they, they learned about what made better arches, what shape was absolutely best for keeping all those stones and, and the people on top of the bridge from falling into the earth, resisting gravity, they learned how to shape the arch in just the right way, and the arch kept getting bigger and bigger. They were learning to do more with less. But there was a problem because it turns out that there is an absolute limit to the amount of weight that stones can hold up. And so in a given size canyon, there was a limit to how big the arch could be. So once they got to a certain point, progress seemed to stop. But about the same time, there were people learning about iron. They were learning that they could dig up certain kinds of rocks that had iron in them, they could crush those rocks and separate the iron and melt it down and make it into different shapes. And if they made the iron into tubes and arranged the tubes into triangular forms, they could hold up things 
as well or even better than stone could and with a lot less mass, a lot less material. So what they did was they replaced the stone above the arch with a triangular truss of iron tubes. And now even more of the mass was eliminated because there was no stone left in the bridge. There was only iron tubes with big spaces in between the tubes. Eventually someone asked, what would happen if you lifted the arch up above the canyon completely and had the road underneath the arch instead of on top of it? So they made an arch out of iron and they made an iron truss between the arch and the road and they put it over the canyon and it worked perfectly. As people learned to make more and more effective trusses and learned to make pure iron tubes, the amount of iron necessary to span a certain size canyon kept going down. About that time, there were also people learning about other metals and how you could make alloys by mixing metals. And when you did that, you could get more strength out of even less materials. And steel was invented. And people understood that steel had a characteristic that iron didn't have. It was good not just for compression. It was better for pulling things together. So you could make rope or cable out of steel. Eventually, people discovered that, wait, maybe you didn't need this iron arch at all. Maybe we could just take the steel cables. We could build two posts, put one at each side of the canyon, and drape steel cables over the posts. And when you did that you have actually an inverted arch, an upside-down arch. You could take smaller cables and attach them to the big cable and hang them, drop them down, and hang the roadway from the cables. So now you have a bridge where the only compression members, the only function being performed by iron or rock is two posts, one at either side, and the rest of it is all wires, flexible, bendable, movable wires. As science and engineering discovered more about molecular strengths and characteristics and how atoms were arranged in molecules in different kinds of metals and in different kinds of mixed metals or alloys, the wires were able to get thinner and thinner and yet stronger and stronger. So the amazing thing is that over time, bridges have gotten longer and longer and longer over bigger rivers, over bigger bodies of water, over bigger canyons, and yet as they've gotten longer, they've gotten stronger, and the amount of mass, the amount of materials needed to make that bridge per unit length and per unit strength have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. This is the principle of demass. So Bucky told the story, and then he would stop in front of the blackboard, and he would say, there's no reason why we can't continue this doing more with less until we've eliminated the wires altogether. We don't need anything to hold up the bridge. And there was a silence, and then everyone laughed. And then he looked up into the sky, and he waved his arms around, and he said, look, I wave my arms between the earth and the moon, and the moon doesn't fall into the earth. The moon and the earth are in a perfect tension-compression balance, and there is an invisible tether between the earth and the moon, and they don't need a mass of materials to keep them in a wonderful structural arrangement. So the principle of demass, the principle of producing much, much more useful benefit with much less resources is evident in the bridge industry and it's evident 
in the computer industry, because we're all used to seeing that computers getting smaller and smaller, but getting more and more powerful and using less and less energy and resources. But uh, most of society is really still organized much like the stone bridge with a little hole at the bottom. We are using millions and millions of tons of resources for things which we don't need to use them for. We still build houses the same way we did 100 years ago, even though our knowledge of materials and resources and being able to design integrated systems that would use a fraction of the materials and a fraction of the energy and a fraction of the water, that we have that knowledge. DMAS is about learning to apply these principles of mimicking the way nature solves problems and applying them to all aspects of our lives in order to reduce the total amount of mass that is invested in producing the wealth and the progress that we all want and to being able to take care of ourselves and the entire population of the planet on a sustainable basis. You can only, you can only, unentitled to stay alive if you really commit yourself and all your experiences to, uh, to other human beings in a very, really complex, complete, out and out way. I told you how much impressed I was principles so that this idea precessionally of going off 90 degrees did not seem to be illogical to me. In fact, it seemed very logical, but it never been tried. And so all my contemporaries are tied up with have to earn a living. And I said, I, I think this is just what we ought not to be doing. We ought to be saying, what do my experiences teach me needs to be done, which if not done, will find world society in great trouble, which if attended to, will find them in, in, in advantage. And what would I need to know in order, over above what I now know that made me see that that is so, what more would I need to know in order to be able to, to do something effective about it? <clears throat> I said, those are the kind of questions I thought we ought to be doing. And I, I then also then came to ask myself quite a number of other questions. And I said, the only condition then of your saying is that you are committed to the others, and number one, you have to do your own thinking. And everything that's happened to you really relates very much to your accepting other people's thinking, trying to play games that you didn't have your heart really in. <laughs> so that th this, this is a, going to be a very new kind of discipline. And you're going to have to be absolutely trustworthy that you really are committing yourself to other people. There's no cheating on this thing, not just this way you arrange not to kill yourself now, and then, then you're going to just start cheating on this. You're going to have absolute conviction that, that, that uh, you'll be able to carry through for your full lifetime. Well, I asked myself quite a number of things, and, and number one, I said, all right, you've seen all, you've experienced an enormous number of human beings who are deeply moved by their their religions that they've been taught by their families. They belong to very large, great religions, have great fervor. And I said, all right, I've got the number one question you're going to have to ask yourself is, if you're going to do your own thinking and give up, this means giving up all belief. And I've been taught to believe various things, and I accepted more or less wholeheartedly. Uh, uh, I said, I'm going to have to give up all those things. I've got to start absolutely from experience, experiential base. I said, do you have any personal experiences which give you 
reason to have to assume some greater intellect operating in the universe than that of man. I said, I'd have to, I'm just overwhelmed by the evidence of that. These generalized principles themselves, which can only be intellectually just detected, and they're only, they're utterly intellectual, they're, they're weightless, they're, they're, as a generalized case is absolutely intellectual. And there's an integrity, all these principles are all interaccommodative, so that I'm overwhelmed by an a priori greater intellect operative. I'm going to talk more about this on, on, the, on Friday, but I, I just want, that was very much one of the important questions right at the outset. So I said, then I'm, I'm going to assume that I really, in doing my own thinking, I'm going to try to understand whether I am really, whether a great intellect thinks it, it is worthwhile for me to carry on. And what, are, what, what would, be, would be the requirements of, of a comprehensive integrity of our universe? But it, looking out for all humanity, looking out for the universe, why? Why do we have these generalized principles? What is the universe itself trying to do? If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it, you can do three simple things right now. One, you can subscribe to Permaculture Freedom Podcast if you haven't yet. Number two, you can leave a short review for us on iTunes. And third, Share this episode with a person in your life you think would enjoy it too. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, take care, my friend.